Hello, welcome to Pod Academy. This podcast is the first in a series from Surrey University looking at new frontiers in electronic engineering. You're listening to Potential Difference, the electronic engineering podcast with me, Dr. Radu Spora. This series of programs is devoted to technologies which still have a long way to go before they become part of everyday products, but which show real promise of changing the way we think about energy-efficient electronics. I have deliberately avoided interviewing or quoting the most established and well-known scientists and engineers. Instead, you will hear from some of my young colleagues, researchers and doctoral students from the Advanced Technology Institute at the University of Surrey. I hope that their accounts from the coalface of electronics and materials research will demonstrate the tremendous enthusiasm and interest that exists in these potentially world-changing technologies. If you happen to be listening to this podcast during Christmas shopping season, there is a high chance that your shopping list will include some sort of electronic gadget. Every year, we expect without even thinking about it to be able to buy faster computers, smartphones and electronics cheaper than previous year's models. This relentless evolution of technology has largely been down to the clever improvements in manufacturing of electronic circuits. These days, circuits have billions of microscopic components and that complexity is possible in the first place because we make all these parts from a single piece of material. For this reason, speed and reliability are even higher while cost is minimized. We call this invention the integrated circuit and it's been serving us well for nearly half a century. Just as the integrated circuit was flourishing in the 1960s, Gordon Moore, a lead technologist at Intel, observed that if every year engineers made circuits with components half as small and twice as many, within a very short time, extremely complex circuits would be made, but cost would stay about the same. Moore's law, as we've come to call it, has become a self-fulfilling prophecy serving as a guideline for the future for companies involved in electronic circuit manufacturing. Digital circuits are fabricated in semiconductors, materials which can change from being good conductors of electricity to being insulators. Circuit designers rely on manipulating this property of semiconductors in order to store data or make computations. And for nearly as long as the integrated circuit has existed, one semiconductor has been the material of choice for the overwhelming majority of electronics, silicon. Dr. Charles Opoku explains why we prefer it above all others. Silicon is actually the eighth most abundant chemical element found in the universe. And what's more, is the second most abundant chemical element found on Earth. Now, on Earth, you find silicon not in the purest form, but you find it as sand, which is silicon dioxide. That's useless to us because... Uh, that's a, an insulator. It doesn't conduct electricity. So in order to uh, get the pure silicon, what you do is uh, you do some large-scale uh, chemistry, bit of heat, and you remove the silicon. In a molten state, you immerse a, a crystalline form of the silicon you want to grow. And uh, as you uh, withdraw this, of course, it will start to cool down, and it copies the internal crystalline structure of this uh, uh, crystal, and you end up with something called an ingot. Now, this ingot is so pure and it contains virtually no foreign atom species. And this is very essential to ensure a reliable operation of uh, 
and electronic circuitry. And what's more, because it's so pure and it forms an ordered structure, so whatever direction you're standing at, if you were sat in the middle of this big ingot, you see the same thing in any direction. So uh, this is very important to ensure efficient electrical conduction. This uh, ingot is sliced into thin disks, almost as big as uh, a dinner plate, sometimes even bigger. You define intricate circuitry on this disk. One example is uh, your microprocessor, which contains billions of transistors, uh, which makes your, your laptop or your computer do all the complex functions it does today. Silicon offers the best balance between performance and cost. Over the decades, we've been very inventive when it comes to squeezing the last drop of speed or energy efficiency from our silicon circuits. We've put the silicon under strain, which makes it easier for electrons to go through the material at high speed, and we've implanted precise quantities of other chemical elements at specific locations in an attempt to improve energy efficiency. Silicon is cost-effective for circuits with millions or billions of components packed together into the size of a fingernail. But there are integrated circuits which just have to be a lot bigger. Think about your television or a tablet computer. Their flat screen is a single circuit made in one piece. It is still an integrated circuit. We call it a large area electronic device. But making it on gigantic silicon wafers would be prohibitively expensive and, quite frankly, pointless. The number of components in the whole screen is a few million but not anywhere near as many per square inch as the most advanced digital circuits. So using the same technology would mean over-engineering. In fact, any circuit roughly bigger than a two-pound coin becomes too expensive to make on a silicon wafer. A cheap way of fabricating large air electronics is needed. PhD student Stamatis Georgakopoulos explains how silicon of lesser quality comes into play. As you explained, crystalline silicon is too expensive for large area deposition. Also, we don't need particularly high performance for applications such as displays, so we can get away with depositing amorphous silicon, which is a lesser form of silicon, in which the atoms are not well arranged as in a crystal. As a result, the performance is much lower, up to a thousand times lower than in crystalline silicon, but uh, the cost is also lower, and it can be deposited onto large areas with processes such as chemical vapor deposition, which are much cheaper. Even with such a large speed penalty, we still manage to use amorphous silicon in display screens and very successfully for smartphones, tablets and HDTVs. But as screen size and image quality increase, so do the demands on the control electronics. And soon, there will come a time when amorphous silicon will simply not be able to rise to the challenge. So what can we do about it? One option is to attempt to convert the amorphous, disordered silicon into the ordered, crystalline version we know works much faster. To do that, as the material is laid down during fabrication, we use lasers to temporarily heat small areas of the silicon to very high temperatures, above the melting point. As it cools down, the material naturally forms small crystals in which we can make our high-speed electronic devices. The trouble is that these crystals tend to vary in their size and properties, so getting consistent performance, say, uniform color, is quite a challenge. So how else can we solve the problem of slow amorphous silicon? Well, we could replace it with something entirely different. Ciao Zopoku. 
Another area which uh, has sparked enormous research uh, interest is using nanomaterials. One example is uh, silicon nanowires. The composition of silicon nanowires is no different to its bulk counterpart, say a silicon ingot, but only is many, many, many times smaller. Uh, using special techniques, you get these silicon atoms to self-assemble in a particular way, growing into thin strands. What's great about nanomaterials, uh, more specifically uh, semiconductor nanowires, is the fact that the growth stage can be separated from device assembly. What I mean by that is uh, these nanowires can be grown at very high temperatures, and once grown, they can be transferred into uh, an alcoholic solvent, uh, creating a, a nano ink. Now, these inks can then be coated onto virtually any surface to create electronic substrates. These substrates can then be used to assemble or to construct complex uh, circuitry. What's exciting about using nanowire inks is the fact that you have the practicality of solution processability and you also gain a performance of single crystalline silicon. Now, having said that, it's not so easy to do so because you have these nanowires, which are thin whiskers. You need to uh, make sure that they're orientated along the direction of uh, electrical transport. How can you ensure that you have identical nanowires over a complex circuit on a large scale? Stamatis Georgakopoulos. Yet another solution is to replace silicon altogether. Semiconducting oxides are a class of materials that can be more than 10 times more conductive. So in theory, you can get a lot faster electronics, although this kind of technology is still in the research phase. Though a downside is that moisture or oxygen from the atmosphere can cause performance degradation. Some manufacturers are already showing prototypes of high-performance displays made with zinc oxide. Silicon nanowires are still in the fundamental research phase, because their chemical composition and geometrical properties make them behave quite differently from conventional flat layers. So to make real products with these materials, we first need to understand the physics which govern the movement of electrical charge within them. But equally important is studying the ways in which these materials need to be fabricated and used to benefit the most from their specific properties. Charles Opoku and Stamatis Georgakopoulos once more. Sometimes you, you think you're sure of what you're doing in terms of the results you expect. But having fabricated a, a device or having constructed a, your nanowire device, you find out the device exhibits an entirely different uh, uh, property. Nanowires, because of their small dimension, they appear to be very sensitive to virtually anything from oxygen to moisture, even light. Sometimes you, you expect one result and you get an entirely different outcome. Now, that needn't stop there because that's also an exciting avenue. Why do these nanomaterials uh, behave in a, a particular way? And sometimes you come up with some very exciting uh, science. Then you try to understand why things are happening, hopefully develop a model that predicts the behavior of materials under certain conditions. Only then you may be able to really make good use of these materials and exploit their particular properties to create something which was not possible before. You need a lot of patience and flexibility in the way you think, because nature doesn't work the way you want it to. As we will see in the next episode, a flexible approach may lead to surprising new ways of doing